BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, college students, are you looking for a way to get ahead this summer? Northwestern University is offering hundreds of undergrad courses online this summer. Choose an intensive sequence in learning. Registration is open now. Visit northwestern.edu slash summer for details. Ben, you have a song request. Oh, wait, actually, it's the opposite. Jay Marie says, I request Ben not sing. <laughs> Jay Marie. Ouch. <laughs> Just for that, Jay Marie, I'm singing two songs. Oh, see, two. see what you did there, Jay Marie? You see what Sing you did Jay there? Jay Marie, okay? It's like Lori Lightfoot. Get me mad. I'll take down that statue, Jay Marie. Oh, okay? Bri- Brianna says, Jay Marie, I second that. <laughs> oh, I'll sing second that emotion. <laughs> so if you feel like giving me. Jay Marie's like, boy, I kind of see where Rahm Emanuel's coming from. This guy's a <laughs> pest. <laughs> I don't think Jay Marie's going that far. <laughs> yeah. I don't think she's going that far. Yeah, I think you're right. You're definitely right. Take a chill pill, <laughs> man. Get outside and explore Chicago on a CAFC river cruise aboard Chicago's First Lady. Now open and adhering to public health safety standards. Called the number one boat tour in Chicago by TripAdvisor, CAC docents share the fascinating secrets and stories behind more than 50 famous buildings facing the Chicago River. Delight in panoramic views and hear how our hometown became world-renowned for its architecture. Book your tickets today at architecture.org. Your Ben Jarofsky show. Yes, two guests today. We're going old school. We got uh, Alderman Ray Lopez coming on. We're going to do a shortened version of the local news. And at about 1.30, we're going to grab Ray Lowe. And he's uh, he's got a lot to talk about. So uh, Ben's going to be talking with him one-on-one. And uh, also, uh, the Romana Rundown with Romana Hussein at 2 o'clock. So we got a jam-packed show today for you, everybody. But before we get going, we got to thank the following unions for sponsoring this podcast unions like the international brotherhood of electrical workers local nine that's correct the international union of operating engineers local 150 or sponsors as well as our dear friends at the chicago federation of labor i won't just turn the car around i'm going to shut it off i'm going to kick you out and i'm going to make you walk home <laughs> my new favorite clip guys <laughs> we got to play that for Raylo. Yeah, I don't know if Raylo's heard that one yet, D. Oh, maybe Ray, not. You know Raylo loves Lori. Oh, right? you know yes. That, Sarcasm at its best today on the Ben Jarofsky <laughs> Show. All right, uh, Ben, for Jay Marie, this one goes out to you, Jay Marie. Give us a song of the day, if you could, please. All right, I know Jay Marie is a huge Beatles fan, so I'm going back to the Beatles. She's got a ticket to ride. <laughs> I love the air I instruments. Don't care. <laughs> yeah, man, and babe, baby, don't care. Wow, wow. That's the guitar, D. All right, now uh, give me that uh, that drum roll. That drum roll you did earlier there. Oh wait, she's got a. T- I, I got to get to the drum roll. Okay, I'm an artist, all right, oh, D. Okay. I'm an artist, okay. She's got a ticket to ride. <laughs> 
that's Ringo, man. He kept the beat. Yeah. You ever hear him on Let It Be? That's my Let It Be. Yeah. The Ben Jarofsky Show starts now. It is Friday, July 24th, and live from Ben's Attic in my apartment, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, we welcome back 15th Ward Alderman Raymond Lopez, and it's another Ramana Rundown with Chicago Sun-Times editor Ramana Hussein. And now your host, he's got a ticket to ride, Chicago Raider columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello everybody, Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Cohen Going Home Friday, and here's why. Now I know folks, you all wanted me to talk about Statue Gate. That'd uh, be Mayor Lori Lightfoot uh, taking down the uh, Columbus statue in Grand Park in the middle of the night. Come here, statue. That'll show you, statue. And I know some of you want me to talk about AOC, man. I have, AOC, I love you, AOC. That speech she gave yesterday in Congress, just total takedown, an evisceration of uh, Representative Ted Yoho, who is a JoJo joker. But, yeah, I'll get to uh, AOC uh, in the second part of the show. When Ramana comes on, we're going to be breaking down her speech. And we will be talking about Statue Gate uh, with Ray Lowe, who's coming on, Alderman Raymond Lopez, 15th Ward, a big opponent of uh, Lori Lightfoot. He's already tweeted out his uh, dissatisfaction with her for uh, having taken down the statue. So we'll get into Statue Gate. So let me just say I have to talk about Michael Cohen because – this is really emerging as one of my favorite stories, a mini, mini obsession uh, that I have. And last night when the news broke about Cohen, where I first heard about the news, I immediately reached out to Jim Coogan, our ace attorney who comes on and talks about Trump's crimes all the time. Uh, Jim Coogan's one of the few people in the world who's as obsessed as I am about Michael Cohen. But this is a fascinating little story about the power games that Donald Trump plays as president of the United States and how extensive his clout is. And by the way, MAGA hat lovers out there who are always worried about freedom of speech and uh, governors who overextend their their uh, power and become tyrants. And, and all those who complain about Lori Lightfoot for taking down the statue, they say, oh, she's acting like a tyrant. I just pay attention to what your boy Donnie Trump is up to uh, in regards to Michael Cohen. All right. Just a little reminder. I know most of I know all my live stream listeners know who Michael Cohen is because they're a smart group. But this is for so, you know, I'm not saying the pot. Oh, God, now I'm in trouble. The, I'm not saying that our podcasters are not as smart as our live streamers. I didn't mean to suggest that. But there may be some people who don't know. All right. So Michael Cohen uh, is Trump's lawyer or should I say his former lawyer? Specifically, he was Trump's fixer. He was the guy that did Trump's dirty business for years and years and years. So, for instance, got a stripper who's ready to go public with her tales about uh, her affair with Donald Trump, her low rent rendezvous with Donald Trump. Trump calls in Cohen to get her to pay off the stripper to shut her up. 
And uh, that's the kind of role that Michael Cohen has played for Donald Trump. You got some troublesome reporter who's threatening to write an expose about Donald Trump. Get Cohen on the phone uh, to threaten him with a lawsuit. That's the pre-First Amendment advocate days of Michael Cohen when he was just uh, Donald Trump's henchman. Donald Trump always said, I, I want a Roy Cohn. Roy Cohn, of course, was a notorious, uh, tough lawyer, uh, red-baiting lawyer in New York City for years and years and years uh, with McCarthy's right-hand man. So Michael Cohen was kind of playing that role, although he probably wasn't as effective as Roy Cohen. Anyway, uh, neither here nor near about Roy Cohen. Um, Michael Cohen got in trouble. Uh, he uh, lied to Congress. They prosecuted him on campaign finance violations. And the next thing you know, uh, he got sentenced to three years in the federal penitentiary, which just strikes me as really unfair that Michael Cohen is in the federal penitentiary and Donald John Trump is in Mar-a-Lago. Don't know how that works, but that's our system of justice. In Get the in that penitentiary. States. Cohen. Meanwhile, the guy that you were fixing on behalf gets to be president of the United States and has the undying, unwavering support of all the quote unquote law and order types uh, throughout the country, including the law and order types here in the city. The the city of Chicago. Anyway, you're good, buddy. You are good. Working on a man. That was weird. That, that, that's the only time that's ever happened, and you did it like three times on Tuesday. I don't know. It's it's the aging baby boomer brain. This cognitive stuff is no joke, okay? Trump was on to something. You got to really work on your brain. I'm going to say this for all my millennial listeners out there. You got to work on your brain. You got to attack its weaknesses and just keep working on it. So city of Chicago. Okay, anyway, anyway. So, a few uh, uh, <laughs> a few weeks ago, out of compassion, a word you don't hear a lot in this country, uh, Cohen was released from federal penitentiary. Uh, he was sent home, uh, home confinement, because of the pandemic. Essentially, what they were saying is that they were effectively giving him what could be uh, like a uh, the death sentence by keeping him locked into prison where he could get the illness and uh, die. So they let him out. It was a compassionate move. They let a lot of prisoners out, federal prisoners. Uh, get out of that I penitentiary! Had, <laughs> I had no problem with it. Actually, I could have a whole discussion about how I think we do too much locking up uh, in general and that there should be alternative sentences for uh, all kinds of people, particularly like I talk about this with drug arrests, but definitely with uh, criminals like uh, Michael Cohen. Anyway, they sent him home uh, and he was uh, sitting out his sentence at home under home of confinement. And then, well, I talked about what happened next. Uh, a few weeks ago, he got called uh, into uh, the federal building in New York City with his lawyer and he thought he thought he was going there uh well let me just read you the new york times account because it's very clear uh, cohen was already out on furlough because of the coronavirus but to remain at home he was asked to sign a document that would have barred him from publishing a book during the rest of his sentence mr cohen balked because he was in fact writing a book a tell-all memoir about his former boss the president and the officers sent him back to prison. <sighs> yeah, talk about a power play. You know, get back in there. <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. I knew you were going to do that. And you know what? The MAGA hat crowd is really upset at Lori Lightfoot for taking down the Columbus statue. I got to tell you, Mayor Lori Lightfoot can learn a thing or two from Donald Trump. 
Now, the judge in this case is no Brett Kavanaugh. In other words, he's no Trump stooge. So he declared, let me get to it. Hold on. When uh, Michael Cohen filed a suit asking to be released from uh, prison and the uh, the lawyer, the, excuse me, the judge uh, in the, the case, Judge Hellerstein is his name, wrote, in 21 years of being a judge and sentencing people and looking at the terms and conditions of supervised release, I've never seen such a clause. And the clause that he was re responding to was this. The provision that Mr. Cohen objected to would have barred him from, quote, engagement of any kind with the media, including print, TV, film, books. It also sought to keep him from posting on social media, according to a copy of the agreement attached to the lawsuit. So let's just review what happened, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Here's the deal. Michael Cohen shows up at the federal building with his lawyer, thinks he's going to sign an agreement that's going to allow him to remain at home. And they tell him, no, you have to essentially sign a non-disclosure agreement. Donald Trump loves non-disclosure agreements. It's something he has in common with Jeffrey Epstein. But I think they have a lot in common, actually, now that I think about it. But this one particular thing, they love getting people to sign non-disclosure agreements. So they're essentially telling Michael Cohen, you want to get out of jail? You want to go back home to finish out your sentence at home so you're not in prison? Sign this agreement. Sign away your rights to write your book. Sign away your rights to uh, tell people your story, to talk to reporters. Throw away your First Amendment rights. Cohen says, no, I'm not going to sign that agreement. So they said, all right, get back in that jail. <laughs> get back in there, sir. Yeah. And I, I know a lot of people don't feel sorry for Michael Cohen. I don't blame you. Michael Cohen was a despicable person for many, many years for Donald Trump. By the way, just saying that, DF, I, I was doing Trump many, many years. Did you notice that? I kind of like was heading yeah. to Trump. You're getting pretty many, good. Many Thank you. I, it's just like just came out of nowhere. Many, many years. I'm not a doctor. <laughs> so he was a despicable character. You will not get me to defend Michael Cohen's behavior for all those years he was employed by Donald John Trump. I would go so far to say anybody who worked for Donald John Trump has to look in the mirror and reconsider what the purpose of his or her life is when you're working for a man so despicable. So I'm not going to defend the life he uh, he led, but he broke from Trump. And we could question his motives, but the fact is he broke from Trump. And what happens to a guy who breaks from Trump? They give him three years in the federal pen. What happens to a guy who shuts up and uh, buries Trump's secrets like Roger Stone? Trump commutes his sentence. How is that fair, law and order America? Where are all the Columbus statue protectors? Uh, why are they outraged at this clear violation of law and order by the president of the United States who is rewarding criminal behavior on the part of Roger Stone and punishing somebody who tries to shine a light on criminal behavior like Michael Cohen once he had his conversion? Anyway. So Michael Cohen is like, I'm going to get back at you, Donald Trump. I'm going to write the tell-all book of tell-all books. And now that he's free to write it, let me just tell you what the book plans to tell all. Here's some of the things uh, that he is going to write about. First of all, the manuscript is tentatively titled Disloyal, 
the true story of Michael Cohen, former personal attorney to President Donald J. Trump. I know, Donald, President Donald J. Trump. Like, we wouldn't know. Well, thank God he put the J in that title, because we wouldn't know. Is that Donald Trump? <laughs> I'm already criticizing the title. Anyway, uh, according to the suit, the book would give a glimpse into Mr. Cohen's, quote, firsthand experiences with Trump and offer, quote, graphic details about the president's behavior behind closed doors, end of quote. The narrative, the lawsuit says, quote, describes pointedly certain anti-Semitic remarks against prominent Jewish people and virulently racist comments against such black leaders as President Barack Obama and Nelson Mandela. Now, the insane world that we live in, where Trump's lovers will stay with Trump no matter what he does, what he says, who he insults, leads me to conclude that Michael Cohen's book will not change one MAGA hat wearing mind. And yet I welcome it because there's gonna be a day, I predict there will be a day in this country when people like look in the mirror and say, what did we do? How did we sink so low as to elect this man, Donald Trump, as our president? And so Cohen's book may help us have that moment of revelation. So I gotta say one more time, I was no fan of Michael Cohen when he worked for Donald Trump, but I must admit, now that he's left the Trump plantation, it's give him hell Cohen. We got a great show today, everybody. Alderman Raymond Lopez. Yes, indeed. That uh, Alderman Raymond Lopez, 15th Ward, uh, big critic of Lori Lightfoot, will be on the show. Wait, this Raymond Lopez? I don't want an answer. It's nothing <laughs> yeah. to do with more. I think you're 100% full of shit. That guy? Yes, that guy. And the way it happened, uh, I give a shout out to Pat Whalen. Uh, Pat Whalen uh, is the comic and uh, the so uh, the social media genius behind the Ben Jarofsky show social media platform. Uh, he's a genius. Our platform has uh, got a little work to do anyway, but he's the genius behind it. And uh, yesterday, I forget why, but I must have said something about right. I can't remember what I said from one day to the next day. Uh, and so uh, uh, Pat Whalen sent out a, tw- uh, a tweet to Raylo saying, come on the show. And Raylo said, anytime. And so I got on the phone. The deal was cut. So Raylo is coming on uh, today uh, at 1.30. And then after him, Ramana Hussein will be here from the um, Chicago Sun-Times. I cannot wait to talk to Ramana about uh, AOC's great speech in Congress. I must have watched that speech five times. I found it very inspirational. And uh, she's my congresswoman, all right? I know she's from New York, but AOC is probably my favorite congressperson right now. So anyway, although there are those who say, Ben, come on. You get that crush in Nancy. <laughs> yeah, that's you Babs do. Out there. <laughs> I know Babs is like, oh, Ben, you love Pelosi. <laughs> I kind of do have a little crush on Nancy Pelosi. Don't let anybody know that, all right? He dude? told me once, guys, off the air, that he would love to have uh, to share a milkshake with Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> Two straws. I'm like, you sicko. It's pandemic. I never said that, okay? But I do love Nancy Pelosi. I got to, I don't know. I don't know. It's part of the weirdness of me. I, what can I tell you? I had a, like for four years, I had like a, a crush on Michael Joseph Madigan. I'm like letting it all hang out. Now it's like, go to jail, Madigan. Yeah, you wanted to share one apple with him. <laughs> a 
come on, Mike, give me half of the apple, all right? Just cut it down to me. You eat half, Ollie. I love apples. Anyway, this time, it's time of gloom and doom for the Democrats. When we get a, a master of the parliamentary process who can hold, like, Republican tyrants in check, I, I tend to be a little supportive of them. Guilty as charged? Yes. Anyway, uh, Ramada Hussein will be here at 2 o'clock. We'll be talking about AOC. Oh, we'll also talk stat. You know we're going to talk about the statue with Ramada. Get her thoughts on Statue Gate. <laughs> Lori Lightfoot, come here, statue. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's what we have coming up. Before we get to that, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois, the man back home in Alton. They call him Dennis W. Lightning. Yeah, they call him Dennis W. Lightning. Back. Who knew? With the news. <laughs> Hey guys, how's it going? Yes, it's been mentioned. We have 15th Ward Alderman Raymond Lopez, a.k.a. Raylo, coming on at 1.30. So with the time that we have, let's find out what's happening in Chicago and or Illinois this afternoon. Ben, by the way, uh, quit breaking the fourth wall. People are supposed to think that's you tweeting and Facebooking, oh. all right? <laughs> I had to give some love to Pat Whaler, man. The guy does a good job, all right? He sent me a text. He said, shut this man up. Did he? Yeah. <laughs> Whaler? You just broke the fifth wall. Walls are crashing everywhere. Oh What's going on, Pat? All right. Hey, here man, we Pat, I just want you to know how much we appreciate the work you do. Oh, absolutely, man. You're awesome. You're a social media wizard. All right. All right. Mm-hmm. Let's do the local news here. In 1492, Columbus something something. Hey, who cares? Because in the city of Chicago, the Columbus statue has officially been removed. That's correct. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and Tommy Two-Joint Shuba. Fran, the woe man Spielman, you better look out. You may have some competition is the hardest working reporter in the building just saying all right tommy two joints is on it he covers reefer he covers <laughs> statues you name it he'll cover it all right uh, the controversial christopher columbus statue in grant park was taken down under cover of darkness early friday hours after mayor Lori lightfoot ordered its removal two cranes pulled up to the statue just before 2 a.m uh, friday after protesters and supporters of the statue argued and yelled at each other supporters included John Cadenzera, president of the Fraternal Order of the Police Lodge 7. The decision to remove the statue came after violent clashes between police and protesters broke out last week when activists tried but failed to take it down. The monument was removed at about 3 a.m. Crews also removed another statue of the Italian explorer uh, Arrigo Park on the near west side. So... Huzzah! Progress in the city of Chicago. (laughs) But hold that thought, because here's where it gets a little hairy. And if you listen closely, everyone, you will hear a slight chewing sound. And that's the sound of a Chicago mayor trying to have her cake and eat it, too. Well done. Bravo! Mayor Lori Lightfoot issued a statement this morning saying the statues were removed until further notice. Yes. Ah. A statement from Mayor Lightfoot's office indicated that these were only temporary removals. The official statement reads, The city of Chicago, at Mayor Lightfoot's direction, has temporarily removed the Christopher Columbus statues in Grant Park and Arrigo Park until further notice. This action was taken after consultation with various stakeholders. It comes in response to demonstrations that became unsafe for both protesters and police, as well as efforts by individuals to independently pull the 
Grant Park statue down in an extremely dangerous manner. This step is about an effort to protect public safety and to preserve a safe space for an inclusive and democratic public dialogue about our city's symbols. In addition, our public safety resources must be concentrated where they are most needed throughout the city and particularly in our south and west communities. Over the coming days, Mayor Lightfoot and the city will be announcing a formal process to assess each of the monuments, memorials, and murals across Chicago's communities and develop a framework for creating a public dialogue to determine how we elevate our city's history and diversity. As the mayor stated previously, this is not about a single statue or mural, but how we create a platform to channel our city's dynamic civic energy to collaboratively, purposefully, and peacefully reflect our values as Chicagoans and uplift the stories of all of our diverse cities residents, particularly when it comes to the permanent memorialization of our shared heritage. Shout out to whoever wrote that press release. My <laughs> God, you confuse this producer. I was going to say, dude, when you start reading uh, these pre press release, uh, I'm just going to start talking. Uh, this is Lori, not D. I'm just going to start talking in the hopes that everyone stops listening and then I can just move on with my life. All right. Uh, on to Tommy Two Joints here. After the news broke, more than 1,000 protesters who were rallying near Lightfoot's Logan Square home rejoiced. Soon after, an organizer led the crowd in a celebratory chant, Thank you for the statue. Now defund CPD, the crowd bellowed. Ben Jarofsky, what say you on the removal of the statues? And are you as confused as I am on the temporary removal part <laughs> in all of this? Yeah, man. That, that was a pretty funny riff, by the way. Listen, listen, Mayor Lori Lightfoot is no fool. And she saw that statue. She knew it was like a magnet for trouble for her. Donnie Trump is sending in these agents. So there's the possibility that if uh, we could have a situation like Portland, like the statue would become the magnet. It would draw the protesters, then it would draw the counter protesters. So you'd have protesters who want to take the statue down, and then you would have protesters who want to keep the statue up. Some of the protesters who want to keep the statue up are Chicago police officers. So then you would have what the potential for off duty Chicago police officers confronting protesters. Then you in the middle of it all, you got Trump's militia from uh, Homeland Security just throwing protesters in jail. I mean, D, this was this was a recipe for a lot of problems, just put it mildly. So she said, you know what? I'm just going to take that statue down. And then someone said, one of raids, but boss, if you take that statue down, then the pro Columbus statute faction will say that you're bowing to the mob. And so she said, good point. That's why I pay you so much money. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to say it's just temporarily taking it down while we assess. And this is what Chicago is really good at, folks. They got a problem. What you do is you put a blue ribbon committee together of people that you really trust because you know they're never going to say anything critical of you and go, study this problem. And they go, we'll study this. This is how we deal with our TIF program, by the way. Every now and then they have a committee. We're going to study the TIF program to see if there's any truth to the rumor that it's actually a huge scam. And then they go study and they go, nope, not a scam. It works. It's got a little problems, but it works okay and get to do it again. So this is classic Chicago approach to a potential problem. D, get rid of the statue, have a study, wait for the weather to change, and then, you know, go back to worrying about the bears. Uh, so it was a, uh, it has the potential to be a very astute move by Lori Lightfoot. 
And uh, I don't what I don't know. And I asked you this uh, earlier today, D. And you didn't know the answer either. Will people just like go to where the statue was? Will it? St- we're just going to go continue this fight, even though there's no statue there. We're just going to go because there's a mound where the statue used to be. So I don't know if that's the case. I doubt it. But um, maybe I don't. I'm missing something here. Anyway, so that's what I believe Lori Lightfoot was up to when she had the statue removed. All right, now we go to you. And yes, I mean you, the Ben Jarofsky Show listener. A lot of you have commented your thoughts on our Facebook page at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show. And according to those who posted uh, your thoughts on the removal of the Columbus statue, well, they're... It's damn near unanimous. Good riddance, say the Ben Jarofsky show followers. Now, there's a shock. We we live in lefty land, D. Let me remind you, we live in lefty land. We are family. All right. Uh, Before the whole temporary part was announced, our Facebook friend Denise shared her thoughts. Ben, I'm sure this first part will take you down memory lane. Remember, uh, our host is old, guys. All right. Uh, (laughs) Denise writes, or types, or whatever. Mayor Daly tore up an airport on a whim in the dark of the night. She then says, I'll give the mayor credit for stating her intention and reasons. Yeah, uh, Denise, yes, it was Meg Fields. And by the way, Raylo alluded to that. I'm going to give him a, a little, uh, tease him a little bit. He's too young to know about Meg's field, but I remember very clearly, I think it was back in 2003, right after he was uh, reelected, Mayor Daly, Mayor Richard M. Daly, the second Mayor Daly, uh, had, uh, I think it was Park District employees come in. Man, they just shoot up that runway. <laughs> there goes that airport. And uh, there was a just outcry against him. And Denise, believe it or not, um, oh, God, I'm, they're going to kick me out of lefty land for this one day. But I was with Mayor Daly on that. I, okay, I believe he overextended his power. Yes. I believe that he should have followed uh, proper procedures. Yes, all that is true. But ultimately, I was against the airport on that land i thought it'd be better off as parkland i wanted a garden oh god ben you're such a hippie yeah i wanted like a nice nature walk that's so when mayor daly did it i go when i think of all the power moves the over the top just too much power in the hands of one mayor moves that mayor daly had done in by then it had been 14 years of office this is like the one time i actually agreed with the outcome so i did not weep I did not join Chicago. Typical. I did not join my uh, fellow citizens uh, in their outrage over Meg's field. And I do love this. He did that uh, in 2003. I was urging everybody, openly urging everybody who's outraged by Meg's field to f- rally behind a candidate to run against Daly in 2007 and defeat him. And what followed was four of the most corrupt years in the history of the city of Chicago, one corruption case after another uh, involving Mayor Daly's uh, henchmen. And guess what? The citizens of Chicago overwhelmingly re-elected Mayor Richard M. Daly in 2007. So Denise, there's a lesson to be learned from all this. People in the city of Chicago, they really love powerful mayors. <laughs> all right. I just sent a, uh, a Google Meet invite to Alderman Raymond Lopez. We'll read uh, your thoughts on Facebook. And when we get Raymond Lopez, we'll do the interview. How's that sound, Ben? Sounds like a plan to me. All right. Here we go. Uh, Steve on the Facebook page says, well, this is really the smart solution. Put it in a museum. Isn't there an Italian-American museum in Chicago? 
Yes, there is. And that is a smart uh, solution. Uh, and uh, yeah, Steve should be mayor. That's a great idea. <laughs> Vote for Steve. Well, I, I, uh, I think it's a great. By the way, there was a whole I, I talked about this yesterday. There was a whole critique of uh, in the Tribune by Blair Kaiman, the architect critic, about the statue's artistic value and uh, which is completely different from its symbolic political value and the, uh, what it represents in terms of uh, the history in the United States of America. So I understand that. So it does have some artistic value. So maybe he's right. Maybe it belongs in a museum. All right. Then, of course, the museum could become the target of protest days, so I don't know. But I, I like that idea. On to Trent's comment. Ben Jarofsky, agree or disagree? Trent said that the mayor is going to get the label wishy-washy if she's not careful. Uh, yeah, I don't... Uh, I think people will see this as a... Look, I sound a little wishy-washy right, right here. Well, which way will I go with this one? Because i got to really think about it. Uh, who said this? Who who wrote this? Trent. Trent. Trent said this. Has Trent read, Have you ever read anything from Trent before? No, I don't think I don't so. Think so. Uh, all right. Well, anyway, welcome to the show, Trent. I, I think this will be viewed. I understand your point that she's trying to have her cake and eat it too, as Dennis. Uh, that was pretty funny, D. Uh, but I believe that people will interpret this as a strong move. And like you're going to hear Raylo complaining about it as being too strong. Uh, so I think this will kind of cement that notion that uh, Lori Lightfoot uh, is not afraid to play the role of the boss. All right. Moving on here. How about Gene? Gene says, uh, let's see here. Hopefully not. And considering that Columbus was responsible for the genocide and atrocities committed against the indigenous people, wouldn't putting them back be considered a hate crime? Wow. That's that's a powerful statement, Gene. And uh I don't believe it's coming back. And this is, uh, I'm, I'm thinking about what Trent said about wishy-washy. I don't believe it's coming back. I think that she's saying it coming back. Uh, so it's just sort of placate the pro statue supporters. Uh-oh, I think we have Raylo. Raylo is uh, here. And, uh, and uh, so I don't believe it's coming back. Oh, there's Raymond Lopez. I see him right now. Uh, he's in his office. Uh, and uh, I just want to say, before I bring on Alderman Lopez, I urge everyone, uh, if you want to get a different take on the statue, uh, to check out the column that Darlene Glanton wrote uh, in yesterday's Chicago Tribune. Powerful stuff uh, in the Chicago Tribune. And the headline is, Christopher Columbus was a fraud, no honor deserved. Very powerful column by Darlene Glanton. And uh, so anyway, that's uh, that. All right. Alderman Raymond Lopez, thank you so much for being so accommodating and coming on my show again. Anything for you, Ben. No pressure on Twitter at all to be on your show today. Uh, okay. By the way, is the sound okay, D? <laughs> yeah, sounds great. So as uh, uh, Alderman Lopez is saying, we sent out, just so you know, I, I, I've already broken the wall on this one, Raylo, uh, Raymond. I, I keep calling you Raylo. I shouldn't call you Raylo. Uh, I should call you Alderman Lopez and show you respect when you're on the show, off the show. Hey, Raylo. Uh, but uh uh, what happened was we have a good friend of mine, Pat Whalen, sent out that thing on uh, Twitter. I didn't even know he sent it out. You accepted the invitation, so all is well. It's good to have you on. I've been saying for weeks I should bring you back on the show. Uh, Alderman Raymond Lopez, <laughs> I, I was just going to say, has been on my show a couple times. It's been a while since, uh, I think it was September of 2019. A lot has changed. Let's first of all talk about uh, the brick thrown through your window, uh, 
a brick thrown through your window at home and a brick thrown through your window at your ward office. Do you have any uh, news updates on who was behind it or what was going on there? Well, it was several bricks uh, at both locations. And the first time uh, an individual ran right up the steps um, to my house and started throwing the bricks right from my front door. Uh, and I can confirm to you, Ben, that we have ruled out a five foot two person in a gray pantsuit as being responsible for breaking my windows. Um, so the mayor's free and clear at the moment. Um, but we we do think we know who's responsible, and there may be they both they be they may be connected in both incidences and tied to local gang members. Are you getting police protection right now? No, actually, I haven't even gotten a phone call from the mayor either time to see if there's anything that I needed. Uh, let alone our superintendent. So uh, I'm very thankful to our men and women in our ninth and 7th police districts, uh, people I've worked with personally over the many years as Alderman. Uh, they are on it, and, I, and I'm glad for it. But as far as anyone from the top down, no. Well, I'm a little disappointed to hear that. Uh, I know the last time you ran a follow of gangs uh, in your neighborhood, uh, you came on my show, you had a police officer with you. Uh, he was undercover cop, and you were getting. Uh, that was in the days of Rom, and I'm, I'm one of Rom's biggest critics in the world, as you know, uh, Raymond. But at least he signed you a police officer. So I, I'm a little disappointed to hear that the mayor hasn't. Re I know you're a pain in the neck to her. I'm a pain in the neck to her. But you're still an elected official in the city of Chicago, and you, you warrant having protection. Well, you know, at that time, Rom actually told me, you know, we don't want you to become the story. Um, which would, you know, we don't want me to be the one doing interviews from a hospital bed. Um, but apparently this mayor doesn't seem to be too bothered by that prospect. But that is so classic, Rom. I know we're not, I, just for a moment, let's pause on that. It's not like I have compassion for you, Raymond. I want you to be safe. I want your husband to be safe. I want your family to be, no, it's like, I don't want you to be a bad narrative that I have to deal with. <laughs> That's our mayor, ladies and gentlemen. Don't bring me any bad press. <laughs> all right. So uh, we play all the time. Uh, it is standard on our show. And we don't bleep it out like they did on Fox. You went on Fox yesterday or the day before. We don't bleep it out. We play the real deal. And I, uh, since we started playing the real deal, uh, Raymond, I've been wanting to get your analysis, your breakdown of the real deal. And that, of course, is the showdown that took place at a, a meeting that was probably illegal. We'll get into that later. Uh, they were discussing, it was right in the aftermath of some of the, of the unrest uh, around Memorial Day at the end of May. Uh, and the mayor was having a private meeting, a virtual meeting with about 40 aldermen, I want to say. So that's a violation of Open Meetings Act right there, Raymond Lopez. Uh, and uh, you and the mayor got into it. D, you want to play it? I'm sure uh, Ray's heard it a few times, but what the heck? Let's use it as the, the uh, intro. Go ahead. I want an answer. It's not something you ignore. I think you're 100% full of shit is what I think. If you think oh, we no want offense, to... Fuck you, then. Who are you, you to tell me I'm full of shit? Just a snippet I'm there. I'm sorry, Raymond Lopez. Every time I hear, and, and here's the thing: when you were on Fox yesterday, I I, I don't know who the lady's name, the 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 journalist on there was. She goes, I, "I want to apologize to our listeners because you're going to be offended by the." I'm like, "Are you kidding me? Like you never swear? People in the cafeteria at Fox aren't dropping the f bomb all the time." The, the notion, I understand we should be civil to each other. AOC yesterday in Congress really made a declaration for more civility. But the notion that 
you're going to hear things you haven't heard before. <laughs> it's the F bomb, which people say every freaking day. I don't know. That gets anyone me too. All right. Anyone who's ever stubbed their toe at night has dropped the F bomb. So, yes. Yeah. Uh, the aforementioned Mayor Rahm dropped it every minute of his life. Okay, uh, so why don't you give us what was what what was going on there? What 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 set that off? You know, we've been going and doing all these stupid nonsensical Zoom conferences since the beginning of COVID. So, I believe first and foremost, Ben, you're 100 percent correct. These these Zoom meetings are all illegal, uh, and we've participated in about 15, 18 of them since the March 18th COVID shutdown. Now, in this one in particular, we already started getting calls and reports of what was happening around the country and what we were going to see. And this, uh, on the heels of the destruction of downtown, the organized rioting and destruction and uh, of our Michigan Avenue and downtown Central Business District, you know, a number of my colleagues and I had really serious concerns about what was going to happen to the neighborhoods, especially when uh, Lightfoot raised all the bridges and sent everyone into the South Loop and Bronzeville. And that really struck a nerve with those aldermen um, who I think may have been on that call as well. Um, but when I represent many communities that you could just ride off the Dan Ryan or drive off the Stevenson to get to, when we kept getting reports that people were coming from Indiana, Wisconsin, and other places, uh, my concern was that if you block them off from downtown, there's only one place left for them to go, which is our neighborhoods. And if we're not thinking about it and we're not planning for it, they're going to be left vulnerable. And what really pissed me off was that when I said this, that basically the mayor's just like, okay, well, next and I was like, no, fuck you next. I want an answer because my people are going to be the ones who are going to be hurt. My residents are already dealing with all kinds of disparities from COVID and everything else. And now you're going to factor this in. And she blew it off like I was crazy. And not two hours after that conversation ended, about 10 o'clock that day is when the first Walmarts on the south side of Chicago started getting hit. I got a phone call from one of the local aldermen saying, they're in my Walmart right now in uh, like 95th and Halstead. You know, then the cycle started. And for anyone who was listening to the scanners that day, you know, I've said it numerous times. It was like an evil algorithm because you could almost time it to the minute, the circular pattern in which they were hitting all these institutions in the neighborhood. And all of this could have been avoided or planned for if the mayor had just shut up and listened and checked the fact that it was coming from Raymond Lopez. We could have done a much better job if she was willing to put her pettiness aside and just listen that maybe, just maybe, someone other than her might have had an idea what was going to happen. All right. Now, before we get into uh, the substance of what you're talking about, because I think there's a really, this city needs, I've said this many times, Raymond, this city really needs to do an investigation of its response to the unrest uh, over the last weekend of May, why police were deployed the way they were. Absolutely, we to get in, We got to get into what happened at Bobby Rush's office. Absolutely everything has to be on the table if we're gonna be a transparent city. But let's just go back to the exchange. If I, I've heard the whole exchange, I'm sure Mayor Lightfoot thought you're grandstanding and thought he is just trying to stick that needle into me. This is him just aggravating me and that's where she lost it. Do you feel you had gone too far, uh, that you were grandstanding and that you were aggravating her at that moment? Well, I have no doubt that I aggravate her just by waking up every day of the week. 
Um, but as far as if I was grandstanding in that moment, I was the fourth or fifth alderman to speak that day. And there were aldermen who were in tears over what they had saw. There were aldermen who were pleading and begging with her. And she spent more time coddling them and being responsive to what they were mentioning about their wards. That to say that I was grandstanding is a no. I was ejected from the conversation because it was me. Now, I could see if everyone else was, you know, smiling and doing the hokey pokey with her. And I just come in, you know, pissing on her tea leaves. But that's not what happened that day. Everyone was concerned. Everyone was worried. And just because it comes from one person you don't like, well, everyone else must be right. But Lopez, you're, you know, 100 percent full of shit. That's not the right answer. Well, uh, right, wait, I just want to uh, clarify something. You said you were ejected from the meeting. I Did they oh, turn off your... No, ver- no, no. I mean, like, my, my not a physically ejected. You were metaphorically rejected, which you did not pay it to. Okay, I got it. Uh, yeah, and I we've played this, too. Uh, uh, Alderman Lopez was alluding to Alderman Sue Sadlowski-Garza's very passionate comments about violence in her neighborhood. We've played that clip as well. Uh, that was part of the uh, that exchange. All right, let's get to the substance of things. We've talked about this on the show. We've had people come on the show who describing uh, the police presence around Trump Tower, around Trump Tower, police lot circling Trump Tower, blocking access from protesters to get to Trump Tower at the Wabash. It was a, sh- a sign of force at Trump Tower. Like they really, really wanted to protect Trump Tower. People thrown into jail for trying to cross the Wabash Bridge. Oh, I have wondered. <laughs> What's that? That it sounds like Lori's house. Uh, maybe Lori Lightfoot's house. Who I do not know about the police around Lori Lightfoot's house. I do know about the police. I don't know who got arrested at Lori's house. But let me go back to this. Do you think that Mayor Lori Lightfoot and the city of Chicago put way too much emphasis on protecting the downtown, and that's what left your neighborhood vulnerable? Yes. I didn't even have to think. Absolutely. All of her emphasis, all of her resources, and all of her attention was on focus was focused on the central business district. It was focused from Cermak to North Avenue, the river to the lake. That's where she focused the attention of our police department. It's where she asked for the 375 National Guardsmen to assist in protecting people in their condo high-rises, all at the expense of neighborhoods that were left to fend for themselves. And I will tell you, Ben, that day after uh, downtown was looted probably was the longest and scariest day of my life trying to wonder if I had to defend my home with whatever I had that was in my house, if our, if we would be next living one block off a major street. And anyone who thinks that the despair and fear in the neighborhoods was not palatable obviously does not know what it feels like to be able to hear people breaking into someone's business not 500 feet from where you live, where you could hear the destruction going on instantly and consistently, and where you're even your pets, and you know I've got six dogs at home, where even they are on high alert because they could feel the tension even in your own home. There was no support for the neighborhood because everything was focused downtown. People, a, thousand, a thousand officers were called to, to uh, U.S. Cellular, I almost said Comiskey Field, and were made to wait there for six hours for transportation to get distributed throughout the neighborhoods in the city of Chicago. We had officers who were on off days and suited up just to help protect their city and were told to go home by their commanding officers because they weren't needed on the day 
of the worst local rioting and looting in Chicago's history. All of that came from the top. All of that came from the one who micromanages the police department on a daily basis, and that was Lori Lightfoot. So are you telling me that those uh, police officers were not dispatched uh, by orders of Lori Lightfoot? Yes. There were officers who came into work, even though it was their day off, just because they wanted to be on the ground to help protect their city, and they were sent home. And how do you know this? Because the officers themselves have come in and told me. I've had lieutenants and commanders and unit commanders tell me that my whole teams were suited up, ready to go, and we were told by individuals I'm familiar with not to go out and to return home. Everything was under control. And and coupled all of that bad decision-making with the fact that we still have an existing order right now from the police department not to disperse large groups gathering in the city of Chicago. And that is being used and mis- and abused in our neighborhoods where we're seeing not protesters, but in communities like West Englewood and Greater Englewood, these illegal block parties popping up in the middle of the night where you've got four or 500 people strong holding communities captive and all the police can do is watch because we still have these outdated and useless orders of non-engagement. All right, you're, you've... Would you support uh, having uh, hearings at the city council to investigate all the charges and allegations that you just raised right here? Absolutely, I would. So what's the likelihood of that happening? Never going to happen in the era of Lightfoot transparency. Why do you say that? Because anything that has to do with questioning her decisions or the decisions of the department, which still are her decisions, um, is always met with great resistance by her, you know. Brown is not the one in charge of the, of the police department. It's Mayor Lightfoot. And she is dictating from on high every single move that that department makes. And anyone who questions validity or usefulness of those decisions is written off. And it is viewed as a personal attack by her, on her, by her. Um, so I don't think that she would ever allow anyone to second guess the decisions that the department, a.k.a. her, has made up until this point. Uh, who is the chairman of the the committee that deals with police in the city council? Uh, that would be 29th Ward Alderman Chris Taliaferro. And if you went to Alderman Chris Taliaferro and asked him to hold hearings, what would he tell you? I'm sure he'd probably say we have to discuss it with the administration or, you know, most chairmen will always defer to the mayor uh, to make sure that it's something that they want to move forward on. Um, an interesting test will be uh, Alderman Taliaferro introduced an ordinance Uh, looking into the usefulness and effectiveness of some of our violence reduction program partners, uh, many of whom have been beneficiaries of the mayor's generosity, um, also are connected with some of her campaign staff. So I'll be curious to see if that ordinance and call for hearings moves forward, because it might be a sign that there may be hope for hearings into everything that transpired um, May 31st through uh, June 5th. Um, But I don't see much hope in that. Well, I'm a, a little uh, disappointed to hear you say that, not disappointed with you, but uh, this is something that you and I see eye to eye on. We're going to get into something that we don't see eye to eye on, but I wanted to say this. I believe that the legislative body should be independent of the executive body. That's what we were taught in high school uh, about, you know, checks and balances. And I understand how the game is played in Chicago, Raymond. I've been, I've been around this town a long time. I know in this bizarre 
political world of Chicago, the mayor appoints the chair, essentially, of the uh, committees of the city council. And then the, the committee, the council ratifies the mayor's choices. Makes no sense. It's a complete contradiction of what we're, it should be in a democratic city. Uh, and so I am disappointed to hear to say that because, again, we've had people on this show who've talked about the the arrests that took place, massive arrests that took place downtown to protect Trump Tower. And I believe there is a correlation between the saturation of police downtown around Trump Tower and the lawlessness that existed in neighborhoods like your own. I believe there is a correlation. I believe there should be an investigation of the what who who is following what order, who is making the orders and go right into the Bobby Rush thing. Do you have any thoughts on what happened in Bobby Rush's office? Well, you know what? But before we get to Bobby Rush, let me just say this, uh, Ben. For how many days did I say people were coming into this city to to cause chaos and havoc? And for days, Lightfoot, Brown, all kept saying I was crazy. You know, I'm misinformed. I don't know what I'm talking about. But then you have the the former epitome of progressiveness, her finance chairman, Scott Wagaspak, saying, Mayor, we have people coming in from Indiana. Can I have your help closing down the uh, off-ramps off the Kennedy Expressway so my neighborhood isn't impacted? And then you look at the map, and hey, lo and behold, all come, all the off-ramps are closed going to Scott's Ward. But yet when you look at what happened on the south and west sides, all our ramps are basically still open. And with regards to Bobby Rush and the popcorn gate, you know, that video or those stills, magically appeared after being hand-delivered a week in advance, a week after uh, the protests. The mayor sat on those, and I personally think that um, those individuals, that was the day after all the rioting and looting. It wasn't the same day. It was the day after. Um, and if they were in his office, I personally, if I've got all this madness and pandemonium coming in in my, my community and police use my office, even if they use my official office, not entering a, a political office to rest and recoup and use it as a base of operations, more power to you because at least that keeps you in my community and helps you be fresher to go after what's going on in my neighborhoods. To be offended because they're in, in there when they've been probably on the job for nearly 40 hours straight trying to track and chase these rioters and looters um, when he's probably been at home with the police in front of his house is just completely disingenuous. Um, to the situation. Uh, you and I don't see eye to eye on that one. That's for certain, uh, Raymond. But I, I, I guess you probably knew that when it was coming out. I do want that investigated. I would like to know uh, whether there was an order from the top to send police into that office. That's been the allegation from the Fraternal Order Police that they were following orders. So I'd like to see what the chain of command, were those police following orders to go into Bobby Rush's office? And then it did it turn into something else like the play? Hey, you can crash here in the office. You're tired. We got this office. They got popcorn and, and uh, coffee. So I would like to see it again. But you won't know until the hearing happens. Well, you, if anyone really wants to prove it, then as Tom Cruise said, show me the money. Where is it? Let's see what it is. One of us will be right. And if you're the mayor and you have the right answers, then there's no reason for you not to call a hearing unless you're lying.
I hope they have the hearings and when uh, the pandemic ends, if I'm uh, wrong, I will treat you to lunch at the restaurant of your choice. And if you're right in your interpretation, you will treat me and we'll go to a steakhouse. All right. Uh, for you, we'll go to McDonald's. No, just kidding. All right. Uh, let's get into um, some of the rhetoric uh, that you've been uh, issuing. You, it seems to me, Raymond, and defend yourself vigorously if you want, that you're moving more and more to Trump country. You're not wearing a MAGA hat yet, but you're getting more and more conservative sounding uh, in your rhetoric. And is, are you going through some kind of political conversion where you're just really ready to go full MAGA on us? Uh, or are you just responding to things happening at the moment and you're just so mad at Lori Lightfoot that you find yourself sounding uh, Trump-like? What's going on with Raymond Lopez? You know, I don't think I'm the one that's changed at all. I mean, to be quite honest, <clears throat> this city has changed around me. This city has become so exceedingly left, so exceedingly intolerant, so exceedingly determined to out social socialize itself that someone like me only appears to become more conservative. I'm assuming that's what you're going for uh, than where you used to know me because we all used to be a little closer to the middle. Most of the city's loudest mouthpieces from the mayor on down are going further and further to the left, further and further away from where vast majority of the city is. So obviously I'm gonna sound like the oddball in the group, but I'm not. I am exactly who I was in 2010 when the first time I ever ran for office or 2012 when I first won elective office in the city of Chicago. Nothing different or has changed or transpired here um, other than the fact that this city is becoming one that uh, seems hell-bent on tilting itself in a way that is different from a majority of its residents. Well, I got to take exception with what you said. I've always been a lefty. I've always been a You know that. You know me, Raymond. I've always been a lefty, so I haven't drifted left. I've been on the left. I'm talking about everybody else that I get, you know, compared to, like, the political dynamics of who and what I... I am and the body I belong to on the city council, you know, as we see that get further left, as we see the tone become further left, um, you know, I've never been one who strayed away from law and order. I just never had to fight and defend why I'm doing it. You know, I've never had to defend as much as I do now why land, bad landlords and slumlords and gangbangers are bad. I've never had to actually fight and defend that because I've never had so many people around me in politics who are so openly embracing those kinds of individuals and that behavior. I'm not saying that you are you are leftier than left, but I'm saying that the tone of, of, of governance and politics is shifting and shifting quickly farther than I'm willing to go. And it may seem like I'm becoming uh, more, sorry, that's me, more, more than um, what, I, what you're familiar with, but it's just that I have to stand up for what's right for my neighborhoods because they are not wanting to be associated with things that are going in the wrong direction on so many of these social issues. All right. One of the things that I took exception with uh, that you said is you were talking about Trump's offer of uh, agents to Chicago. Yes. And 
I hear what you're saying about trying to be more civil, though it is kind of funny coming from you because after you, you you let Lori know what you thought about it. But uh, and, that aside, I did that to Rom too, so let's, let's not forget. That is correct. I remember I broke the story and you called me up and complained. Uh, that, was a, that was a long time ago. That's anyway. how we met, by the way. Yes, that is how we met. Anyway, all right. Um, so it's like I believe – and I'd love to get your thoughts on this, that Donald Trump does not care about Chicago in the least. He does not care about this city, the violence in this city. He has never lifted a finger to help us in any meaningful way. He talks in generalities about, oh, yeah, we need more mental health um, uh, assistance for people. Where's the money from the feds to get us to open up clinics? Where's the money from the feds to expand mental health services that the people of the city of Chicago needs? Nothing from Donald John Trump but rhetoric. Whenever there's a weekend of a lot of shooting, Trump says, look at this, Chicago. Like, Chicago is a separate island. It has nothing to do with him. Hey, Donald Trump, you're the president of the United States. Chicago is in the United States. You should be caring about us. And by the way, you've got that tower downtown. It's funny how he hates on Chicago all the time, Raymond. We've been good to him. Ed, uh, Ed Burke handled his property tax business, got him a tax break, put money, took money out of my pocket, Raymond Lopez, and put it in Donald Trump's pocket when he got him that, and money out of your pocket, because you paid property taxes too. Yep. Joe Berrios, former Cook County assessor, allowed himself to be convinced by Ed Burke's arguments for uh, Donald Trump's property. Chicago's been good. And finally, your guy, uh, I tease, Ray, uh, Rahm Emanuel allowed Trump to put that horrific sign on his building. So Donald Trump, Chicago has been good to Donald Trump, and Donald Trump has done nothing for Chicago. So I say that all as an introduction to ask you, how can you say that like, Donald Trump is reaching out to Chicago and Lori Lightfoot is snubbing him when he's never done anything for this city. Well, first off, let me, let me just roll backwards here a little bit. Um, I do agree that there's there are motivations for why Donald Trump does everything, and it's usually just whatever helps Donald Trump in the here and now at that moment. I'm not blind to that fact. We all know that fact. He's the biggest political narcissist that's ever existed and lived probably in that White House aside from being the most stable of geniuses. Um, that being said, um, we have accepted federal help throughout this entire COVID pandemic. We've gotten almost $900 uh, million from the federal government, that, Lord, that the check that Lori cashed for helping, and she's been using to provide for mental health, housing, you name it, throughout the city of Chicago. Um, we have taken them up on offers, and we have always worked with the federal government, pre and during Donald Trump, to help bring security and stability to some of our neighborhoods. This is nothing new for us. I mean, what I believe is that when Donald Trump issued that letter to Lori Lightfoot, and I think it was J.B. Pritzker as well, mm -hmm. about the violence, the one that they all said was a political stunt, I believe that they should have called him out on it. I believe that they should have said, rather than blow it off and say, ah, you're full of shit, why don't you come up and say, you know what, fine, Mr. President, we'll take you up on your offer. We want you to send in 200 extra DEA agents. We want you to send in 300 extra ATF agents and so on and so forth so that we can crack these gang networks and these drug-running cartels in our city to help bring uh, safety back to our neighborhoods. 
And if he would have failed, then we would have had such a better hand to play politically against him for calling his bluff. But we didn't. What we saw was the same thing that we've seen week after week after week from many of our leaders, which is just to go back and forth on this Twitter, social media nonsense, arguing like the like keyboard warriors on with nothing to do on a Tuesday night. And only now to find and turn around and say, oh, well, you know what? I guess we can take your help after all. So all this time that we've been what, blustering at each other, watching Lo- the Lori and Donnie show back and forth on Twitter, how many kids have died in the city of Chicago because of that? How many people have been shot? How many of them could have been saved if we would have just checked all that nonsense at the door and took him to task for the offer he made? If he would have fallen and, and rejected it, we could have moved on and just kept right about trying to do it ourselves. But we kept that political theater going for his sake and, quite honestly, for Lori's sake, so that they could both keep deflecting, so that they could both keep avoiding having to do anything, and so that they could both keep the diversion of the true problems going on in our neighborhoods from ever being taken seriously. All right, that's a. Uh, I actually, there's some things you said there that I, I, I must confess I agree with. Political theater is uh, rampant, but uh, I'll just move on. Move on. One last time, I don't believe a word that comes out of Donald Trump's mouth when he says he cares about Chicago. All right, we'll close with this. Uh, uh, a friend of mine uh, sent this to me. This is a tweet. Speaking of Twitter, uh, from Alderman Raymond Lopez, and you tweeted this out after uh, Statue Gate, uh, where Mayor Lori. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Ray. Uh, by the way, I could even shout out uh, to Alderman Lopez's husband who set up this thing. Okay, he was the one who figured out how to get this computer. So I want to thank uh, him very much for doing that because uh, without him, we would not even be having this interview. I guess uh, that's why someone called me a boomer on Twitter because I couldn't figure out how to get. Yeah, that. they called you a boomer. I'm like laughing as a boom- boomers. This guy is like 19. All right, he's not a boomer. <laughs> Uh, okay. And he, you, oh my God. Then you, you were, uh, ripping Lori about uh, statue gate. You alluded to Meg's field. I'm like, Raymond, you weren't even around when she took down Meg's field. You were in grammar to, school. I used to go fishing there on Saturdays with my dad when I was eight years old. I remember Meg's field. All right. Well, I'm happy. <laughs> I, I was with Daly when he took it down. So there you go. That's a whole other story. All right. Uh, what, this is your tweet. And then I'm going to get you to, to comment on your tweet. What has become of Chicago? We have a mayor forced into submission by anarchy and mob rule. No more public process, official discourse, or on-the-record debate. The lesson learned is that if you want action from Lightfoot, Lightfoot, show up at her house, and she will cave. Uh, wait, the, the bottom part of it is uh, show at her mouse at her house, and she will cave every time. All right, elaborate. Uh, I actually like taking down uh, the statue, but. Elaborate on what you were getting at in this tweet. So, I mean, look, Ben, there's a right way and a wrong way to do things. And if you want to have a discussion about taking down statues, whether it was Columbus, whether it's any statue, whether it's the Picasso in the Daily Plaza, there's a right way and a wrong way to do it. We can have a discussion. We could do it the right way so that it's giving people a chance of both sides to have a discussion, be a part of the conversation to make it happen. You don't just show up in Daily Plaza and throw a couple anchor hooks on the Picasso and yank it out the ground because you think it's disrespectful to the baboons and PETA. You don't do it that way. Now, as far as my tweet, we have seen on numerous occasions where if you want to get the mayor's attention and you want her to act, you've got to show up in mass and start harassing her neighbors and, and 
having a thousand people on Wrightwood Avenue over there in Logan Square. You know, she did it with Hilco. They were demolishing Hilco and Little Village. And it wasn't until people protested on her block saying that brown lives and the health of Little Village residents mattered that she actually stopped the demolition. Of course, four days later, she flipped again and started it back up. And then they showed back up at her house and she stopped it again. But you keep you keep seeing this pattern where people are showing up and protesting and her knee jerk reaction is let me do whatever it takes to get them off my blocks. I'm tired of this nonsense. And if that's what it's going to be in terms of the leadership to her making policy in this city, you know, you've just supplanted the and replaced the city council with this mob mentality that all I have to do is show up. Whoever shows up with the most amount of protesters is going to win. And that's not how we do things in this city. That's never been who we are in this city. We've always been about, you know, having people's rights and voices expressed, but not to the point where that's the only way with sharpened PVC tubes is how you get people's attention to act. Well, I'm going to have to respectfully disagree with you uh, about how business is done in the city of Chicago. I've been living in the city of Chicago since 1981. And in the city of Chicago, if the mayor wants something done, it has gets done. And there's usually, just as you pointed out, no hearings, no oversight, no nothing. Just get it done. And that's what happened with Meg's Field. So you're you're just, I, I never thought there was a golden age in Chicago where people like had a discussion about something. You know, let's, let's, get, let's convene the city council and discuss with Alderman Lopez five minutes to hear your thoughts on this subject. That's not how it happens in Chicago, Raymond. I guess you don't have to worry about your hearing on uh, what happened during the riots and protests of the city then. Yeah, no, I I would uh, trade the statue for a hearing on what went down uh, on uh, May 30th and 31st. I think that's far more important than statue gate. So I'll trade a meeting on the statue for a meeting. How about that for a deal? You know what? We can end on an agreement. How's All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, yes, we ended on an agreement. That's a good way. And one more time, thank you to your husband for setting this up. This worked really well. You came through a lot of clear. You can't see me because uh, my cockamamie baby boomer computer doesn't have a camera, but uh, I could see you. Oh, thank you, good. Alderman Lopez. You can see that I'm sitting here with two tacos right in front of me. And I have not ate either one of them because I didn't want to hear me eating while I was. Oh, man, I appreciate that. That sacrifice for the Ben Jarofsky show. The bet is still on. I can't. I make so many bets with so many people and lose them. I can't remember the specific bet. I'll have to go back and look at it. But if what was the bet that I made with you? But if I know if I'm right, I'll buy you dinner. And I was just joking about McDonald's. You can pick the restaurant. All right. All right. When this pandemic is over. When all right. Is- All right, very good. Alderman Lopez, thank you very much. Uh, Enjoy your tacos, all right? (laughs) Thank you, Ben. Take care. That's Alderman Raymond Lopez, 15th Ward. And that was, uh, he was nice enough to come on the show, and I appreciate him for doing that. And one more time, thank you, Pat Whalen. Uh, He's hiding. He doesn't want me to say it, but thank you, Pat Whalen, Whalen, for sparking me to get that interview. Right, D? Absolutely. Pat, you're the man. Thank you so much, dude. So we're going to take a little break, play some uh, Michael Girardi and uh, reach out to Romana and start the next phase of the show. Right, D? That's right. The Romana Rundown is coming up. Everybody, make sure you download this weekend's Benny J bonus interviews, by the way, both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcast. Uh, you, ben, do you know the lineup off the top of your yes. head? Yes. 
Uh, yes. Uh, to, we Two interviews yet to do for today. Charlie Johnson from the Chicago Tribune. We'll talk about the labor situation with the Tribune. He's sort of the union steward there. And uh, I support my brothers and sisters at the Chicago Tribune, those hardworking reporters, uh, and they are really feeling the pinch. Alden is uh, the hedge fund that uh, is taking a significant share of the Tribune is um, really tightening the screws, and that is not good for the city. Mike, I'm going to give a shout out. Like the Tribune had a headline today about Madigan gate uh and a great investigative story about michael madigan and at&t and you know what it's because newspapers that's what newspapers do we need them so i uh, got charlie johnson and then one of my favorite guests david ferris will be here political science professor at roosevelt and we will be breaking down all the political news of the week we'll be talking about uh his new book uh, the kids are all left i read it it's a fascinating book very funny so a lot of political talk uh with uh, david uh ferris and we'll um that'll be uh dropped probably oh i don't know dennis and i'll figure that out uh, when we're going to drop it. Yeah, post-show meeting. All right, everybody, don't go anywhere. The Romano Rundown's coming up now. It's Michael Girardi, bailout. It's the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from Ben's attic in my apartment.
What did you think when you heard that? You know, it's unfortunate because the mayor has been going back and forth with the president who, you know, to be perfectly honest, I don't agree on many of his policies, but protecting our citizens should not be a partisan issue. As a Democrat, seeing my residents, seeing my families run down is not a partisan issue. And for her to go for weeks on end, tweeting back and forth and making all kinds of comments, and then finally admitting yesterday that she's open to having the FBI. Two of your Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Vinny J, take it away. I really enjoyed that interview with uh, Alderman Ray Lopez. (laughs) That was good stuff. Alderman Ray Lopez from the 15th Ward. And uh, he just sent me a a text. I just got to share this with you. And he said, it's okay that I... um, uh, read this out. Uh, so anyway, he, he sent me, I sent him a text. Thank you for being on the show. Mm-hmm. And he wrote back, we are doing a drinking game on when you say, quote, I don't agree with you. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> which I must have said that like eight times. And I respectfully let the guy talk. And I go, well, I don't agree with that, but whatever. Uh, and then he says, uh, we're Johnny Walker's shot. So anyway. Raylo, well, Ben, you yeah. got to be honest. I got I to be honest. Ramana Hussein is with me. I usually agree with Ramana Hussein, uh, editor columnist for the Chicago Sun-Times. And uh, Ramana, we got this new thing. I mean, it's not new for the rest of the world. It's new for the Ben Jarofsky show, Google Meet. And at the risk of sounding like a flack for Google, this thing really works well. Uh, so I could see you. You can't see me because I got this old baby boomer computer without a camera, <laughs> right? Uh, you got that Gen X computer that has a camera. So I could see it's, it's you. It's just my iPhone. I was going to say, it's probably just for phone. Yeah. Uh, Whoa! Uh-oh. You mean I could do this on my phone? I don't know about I don't know about your iPhone five. Maybe if you upgraded, <laughs> and then we could probably do that. I love her T-shirt that Ramana is wearing. She's wearing a super cool T. But let's not talk about the T-shirt. We'll probably get in trouble if people know what she's wearing. But I love it's, the it's okay. You can say it. I actually bought it for Mick from Cuba. And he's like, how the hell did you think this shirt would fit me? Because me and my friends that bought it, and were, they're like, oh, yeah, this will totally fit Mick. And he like, this is not going to fit me. So I wear it now. It's a Shea Guevara shirt. Yeah. And Ramana's wearing a Shea Guevara shirt. Uh, it's not a political statement. It's just a shirt she's wearing. So 
uh, please leave leave Roman alone. All right, so much to talk about Statue Gate. I had a long conversation with Alderman Raymond Lopez about Statue Gate, among other things. Uh, Lori tweeting Lori's behavior these days. She's uh, tweeting the Fraternal Order Police head. Uh, she's calling. We talked last week. She's calling the um, press secretary Karen. Uh, she's really uh, combative these days. We'll get into that. But uh, let's start with. Uh, I, I called you yesterday about this. I love AOC. Everybody knows that. Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, congresswoman from New York City. Uh, I call her my congresswoman. Uh, then my listeners tease me that I also love Nancy Pelosi. So I get a lot of that. Uh, and why don't you just, this was, I, I just, her, the way she handled uh, the abusive remarks that Republican uh, Ted Yoho made to her, I just found inspirational. So, I, Romano, why don't you just uh, like just keep pe- get people up to date on what went down? Because I don't think we talked about it uh, on the show yet. So, why don't you just just, just do a brief summary about it? Um, so, basically, um, Alessandra Ocasio-Ortez was going to cast a vote, and she was walking up the stairs on Capitol Hill, and then she's accosted by um, Representative. Um, Yoho and another representative and he started you know pointing fingers at her and calling her dangerous and used other words and you know she kept I I think she's I I forgot if she stopped for a little bit you know obviously he's directing these words at her but she ended up going in casting her vote and um, when she comes out she sees all these reporters out there apparently um, Yoho called her an effing be a, the B word, and I don't know if we could say that in there, but he basically um, swore at her, um, used vulgar language, and there, a lot of the reporters had heard her. And, you know, her response, um, I know, Ben, you're on Instagram and all these other hip, <laughs> hip uh, social media tool, tools, but um, ALC basically um, yeah. kind of brushed it off and not in not in a way where she doesn't care, but she um, played a song and she has her mask on kind of like responding to him. It's just the music playing. I forgot what song it was, but it was it, it, I, I saw that there, she that was her response to what he said. And then, uh, then Representative Yoho had um, a he spoke on the hill and he uh, on the floor and gave a quote apology. But I think a lot of people, if they listen to this apology, wouldn't say it's an apology. He basically said he was misunderstood, and then he said something like, um, "I'm sorry if I'm very passionate," but and then he said something like, "I love God, I love my family." Um, as if AOC isn't um, someone who loves her, <laughs> loves her God or her family. But anyway, I think that's um, AOC's speech was about uh, 10 minutes. She also took to the floor yesterday. And I think a lot of um, women would agree that her speech was very point on and pointed to a lot of, you know, words and abuse that women have to deal with, verbal um, abuse that women have to deal with. So she wasn't only talking about herself, but she was talking about how this is something that a lot of women deal with. And that was one of the things I really thought was really great that she said that, you know, this isn't anything new. This is something that a lot of women have been hearing all their lives. Um, And she said that all Congress women probably have to have heard some sort of abuse during, you know, while they held office. And um, I also thought it was great that, you know, during her speech, she also talked about, you know, a lot of men um, ever since like the Me Too movement. And you just hear a lot of um, kind of uh, 
men in popular culture, like once they get married or, you know, have a daughter, they're like, well, now that I'm a father of a daughter, I think I'm not going to use these words anymore. And, you know, she kind of pointed to that about how a lot of men feel like that the fact that they have a wife or a daughter or a sister think that that makes them immune from being rude to women. And she said, you know, that doesn't make you a good person. What makes you a good person is the way you treat people, you know, and she's pointed to women and how the language um, dehumanizes women and how it's kind of been brushed aside for a long time. So I thought she was very poignant. I mean, if I'm going to throw my opinion into the matter. And I, I think I think a lot of women, when they listen to it, I don't know if women who necessarily support Donald Trump would be moved by it. But I know a lot of my friends have been sharing um, her speech on social media and the quotes um, that she said, and they thought she really hit the nail on the head in that short period of time. And I like the fact that she mentioned, um, you know, how Yoho also said that um, he had two daughters and, uh, you know, she said that she's actually two years younger than his youngest daughter. And she said, I'm also a daughter and, you know, she, you know, she kind of got emotional saying that, you know, her father wasn't alive to see this, but her mother heard this. And she said it was important for her to get out and speak because her parents didn't re raise her in the way for her to, didn't raise her to deal with it, this type of abuse and to speak out on this type of abuse. So I don't know. I thought it was, I thought it was very um, poignant and very effective in my opinion. Yeah, and by the way, uh, Romana Hussein is a columnist, so she's allowed to have her opinions. <laughs> Columnists are paid to have opinions. Uh, that's, that's what, what column writing is yeah. all about. Uh, anyway, so she's allowed to have her opinions, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, I, I'm with you. I yeah, there's so much uh, I know. embedded I can talk in about this. this all day and just it, it, yeah. things that women have to deal with on a daily basis. And, you know, she's a woman of color, too. But go go ahead. Well, there's a um, a video uh, that came out. I don't know if you saw this. This is before I had a show uh, where a woman was walking through New York City and she was just walking through New York City. Yes. And it just captured all the comments that people made to her as she was walking. Just people she didn't know as she was walking down the street. All the abusive, it, like, I guess they thought they were hip or cool or, you know, sex machines or whatever. Wolf whistles and, you know, hey, you're looking good and hot mama and all this stuff that she took. And it's just like the abuse that women take all the time in passing. And... Uh, I remember when that came out and how profound that was. And that was before uh, the Me Too era. So before yeah. we, we and, and that opened my eyes, OK, uh, to what is happening on a regular basis, everyday life. And the part that about the AOC reaction is the twofold part. At first, you, like you were saying, Romana, she acted a little like the woman in the video. She wasn't going to be uh, upset by it. She wasn't going to be outraged by it. She tried to play it off like she's tougher than that. Like that's the way you handle it. You, you don't let them see you crying. You don't let them see you get upset and angry. You joke at them and you laugh it off. And then when he came back with the bogus, and I mean bogus, bullshit apology which wasn't even an apology was a counterpunch at aoc that's when she let people know and i guess i guess my question to you is 
do you it's just like do you feel as though like women are forced into this position where they don't want to look like a feminist or they don't want to look like they're angry or they don't want to look as though that guy got to them where they have to joke about it and play it off like like AOC handled it the first time do you think that's a trick bag that women are in I think I think it's something that women um it's kind of a defense mechanism you know you kind of laugh it off I mean it happens at work it happens kind of like in all aspects of life and you kind of have to laugh it off and act like it doesn't bother you but it does because when women all get together and talk about it we all have kind of the same experiences I think yeah I think for her you know especially someone like AOC she's like a constant target of abuse and you know a lot of it is very misogynistic um from from a lot of you know she mentioned republican lawmakers and she's kind of been the target of attack i mean on one hand a lot of people will say well when you're a public figure you kind of have to deal with those attacks and that's that's true to some extent but it it you know some of the attacks that we see on her do kind of seep into a very um specific you know, antagonism that's targeting her because of who she is um, in terms of being a Latina woman or, you know, because of what she stands for. And I think if I remember correctly, it's because she had equated poverty with violence. And that's what kind of got him all riled up. Right. So, yeah, it is something that women have to deal with. And I think a lot of times I don't think men do it on purpose but they don't really understand because they don't have to go through it it's kind of like being a person of color like you don't know what it's like to be that if you're not if you're not a person of color i mean one of the examples i can give you is you know my husband loves taking public transportation and he's always like you should just take the train to work and you know it's like save the environment and i told him you know what when I go on the train, I have to deal with all these men asking me questions and hating on me. I just want to write. I just want to be in peace when I go to work, you know. And so it, when you're in a public space like that and it's just there's nowhere to go. I mean, I'm not saying that I don't take public transportation, but I'm just saying that's like an example. I told him why I didn't want to take public transportation every day to work because I just don't want to deal with it sometimes. <laughs> and it's like I just want to draw, you know, kind of kind of kind of go and work in peace sometimes and come back from work in peace and also like you know when i go out running i always turn my music on really really loud and i know mick tell, and i know it's a safety thing he tells me i need to put it down and i'm like you know sometimes you know if you turn it lower take your headphones out you hear people saying things to you or men saying things to you and i i just i'm trying to drown it out so i think there's like little things that um, I think a lot of women have to deal with on a daily basis. And it's, it's hard for a lot of men to understand because that stuff doesn't happen. These are just like verbal assaults. I mean, there are women, I mean, women get grabbed at and uh, I don't think, I mean, I'm, I'm sure men get grabbed at too, but it's a very, um, it's a common thing too. And, and when I was talking about the CTA, I mean, I, those are, you know, I've had to deal with like people being annoying and just kind of being in your face. But I mean, I've, covered a lot of stories where you know women are attacked and and that's not to say the cta is unsafe you know most of the time it is but you know there's little things like that when you're in public spaces you have to deal with as a woman woman and you do end up kind of having to try to laugh it off i think it happens to a lot of women in in places of work and you know technically this did happen at aoc's place of work on capitol hill yes it did uh and uh by the way I don't want to get too distracted on here, but 
his the thing that enraged him is so bizarre. And this is where the Republican Party is right now. This is me speaking out, Romano. This is where the Republican Party is right now. AOC made a very logical and obvious point that there's a correlation between poverty and crime. I mean, we all know this. And the Republican Party's attitude is to do absolutely nothing to help eradicate the consequences of poverty, help people get out of poverty. Their attitude is to say, we're going to defend poor people from this insult that AOC just levied at them. How dare you say that poor people uh, are more criminal? You've insulted poor people. I'm like, you are not defending poor people. <laughs> By destroying programs that might help poor people, that pretending you're, it's just like Rom saying, I'm going to help the school children of Chicago by closing their schools. You're, so it, it's so absurd, but it's not he, his anger at her. And when, when. Yeah, I mean, I was kind of thinking that's what set you off about her. I mean, that's what got you so riled up. It's, it's interesting because, you know, there have been a lot of studies that do have correlation between poverty and and crime. I mean, you know, you can't pretend that these things don't happen. I mean, there's studies that are out there. Crime just doesn't happen. You know, there's, you know, obviously there's some instances where there are random cases of crime, but there's, it. you know, it deals with, you know, there's, um, I guess when it's a white person who commits a crime, it's mental health, right? But it's 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 such a complex issue. But to say that poverty does not play into it, it's it's just perplexing. But the fact that he got so riled up about that and got started calling her different names and you know using nasty language is just it's just crazy. I oh, I uh, just to that point, I've read so many and I used to cover criminal courts so you know this better than I do but when, when a judge that moment where the judge has to sentence a defendant and I've seen many judges torn by this and they'll read the, 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 the horrific life story of the defendant a broken home in and out of you know child care facilities a parent on drug whatever it goes on and on and you, the kid never got a break his or her whole life. You've been there, Romana, when yeah. the judges read this and then they still have to sentence him because he did some horrific crime. And it's 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 like a really sad moment when it you is. confront a life that's been destroyed by our world. And for this guy to get up there and attack her because she's pointing this out. You know, I I don't know. But uh, you've been there for those courthouses. Yeah, those yeah. I've, I've actually, like, you know, when I've, I've covered a lot of court cases and then you hear about the um, criminal defendant's life and you can't help but, you know, I used to think my, my life was hard when I was a teenager because my parents were strict, you know, and I, I couldn't go out here or there and I'd be like, oh, my God, my life sucks. And, and I look back at my life and I'm like, God, I had a great life and I did have a great childhood. And, you know, I didn't have the odds against me. My parents provided everything. You know, I would I was upset because, you know, I grew up in the suburbs and I'm a child of immigrants. So all their money would go. A lot of their money would go. My dad's money would go towards, you know, helping his family in India. So I had like one IZOD shirt. So living in the <laughs> suburbs in the 80s, I felt like I was not dressed the way other kids would. And I felt so deprived. But, you know, now that I'm older, I'm just like, wow, it's like I just was so privileged. And you listen to these stories about these children and, you know, a lot of our children, they're like 18, 19, 20 years old and their lives just being born 
and having these lives where they didn't have a lot of people taking care of them or a lot of people looking out for them. Sometimes these kids had um, a parent who was in jail or a parent who was addicted to drugs and they're living in um, places where, you know, you have to watch, you know, offer your life every day. And, and, and it's like, God, it's like they lived the life of someone like three times their age by the time they were 10. So it's, it is very heartbreaking. I, I would get, you know, there's no way you can sit there as a reporter and not be moved by these stories and realize how the odds are against these kids, like, you know, living in these communities um, that have, you know, that are, that don't have the investment that other parts of the city or like, you know, suburbs of, like that I grew up in. So you do, you do, there's no way you can sit through the criminal court system day in and day out and not realize how much um, poverty and how much, um, you know, light, you know, how that can affect a, a young person's life. Mm-hmm. There's no way. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, by the way, the other before we leave the AOC and shout out again to AOC, uh, the part (laughs) I laugh is like, uh, oh, boy, Yoho, his comments were heard by a reporter for The Hill who wrote him up. And Yoho is still going around saying, I never said it. Uh, Dude, why don't you try a different defense? You know what I'm saying? That's the report. You said it in front of other people. I never said it. I've been misquoted. I don't have to. What up? All right. Anyway, uh, I'll move on from that one. Uh, and uh, let's get on to uh, uh, Statue Gate, uh, the Columbus statue. Uh, Lori Lightfoot <laughs> uh, changed her mind after all and decided to take the statue down. Uh, and I, I'll begin this conversation by saying um, excellent column in the yesterday Chicago Tribune by Darlene Glenn. I urge everybody uh, who wants to know more about why uh, Columbus statues have such symbolic importance uh, in this country today. Uh, The history of what happened in our country after Columbus, quote unquote, discovered it. I urge everybody to read uh, Darlene uh, Glanton's column in the Tribune. Uh, So what are your general thoughts, Romana, about Statue Gate? Lori, taking down the statue. Honestly, I'm not surprised that it was taken down. There were two. There were two statues taken down. If you Correct. know, it was uh, Ariago Park and mm-hmm. uh, the one taken out from Grand Park. That was the one that. Um, that was the one where a lot of people gathered last week. Last week and had protested. Um, I, you know, I think that there's like thousands of dollars spent on um, fixing the statue whenever it gets defaced. I guess it's commonplace. It's been happening. I think for a while. From what I understand, I, I forgot the last story I read, but I could be wrong. But um, I, I think I, I, I when, when she got rid of the statue yesterday, part of me was thinking, like, wait, should, did she consult with, you know, I know obviously this is something that's very uh, touchy for a lot of Italian-American groups. And I was thinking to myself, I mean, there's no way she's just going to get rid of the statues and just kind of throw them away or throw them into Lake Michigan or anything like that. There's got to be a place to put them because I would think the Italian American groups um, that are um, angry about her doing this, um, that there's got to be some place that it's going to be placed. So I'm not surprised that she did that given um, the protests and given the conversations. I was just shocked at the way it was done, I guess. Um, I think statues were taken down about 2 a.m., 2 and 3 a.m., um, and I and we've talked about this on the show before. Um, 
as a South Asian and someone who's not Italian, I know I know it's something that's very sensitive to a lot of people who are Italian. I mean, I personally am not offended if the Columbus statue is taken down when we put another statue on there um, because there's so many people to be honored. But at the same time, I know we talked about this and you said a lot of people said, you know, you can still be against it. And I, I do think Columbus is a controversial figure. I'm not one of those people that will brush aside all the other, all the negative, um, negative things that Columbus did and, and to the indigenous uh, individuals who were here and the new indigenous people who were here. So I'm sensitive to that too. Um, the statue was, the statue in Grand Park was ta- uh, brought there in 1933. So it has, I guess, uh, historical s- significance for many. So I think Lori Lightfoot today said that there's going to be um, a process to go through all the different, you know, talk about the different statues and the murals we have in the city and their significance and maybe whether or not they're going to be taken down. So I don't know. I think a lot of people might have questions as to how I know a lot of the people who are protesting against it were cheering her on. Um, but I, I know some people probably are saying should have shouldn't have there been a process before she decided to take them down. And her um, her reasoning is that she wanted to keep from keep it from people actually getting um, hurt during these uh, protests or, you know, the, the clashes that, you know, the, the police, obviously there was a young woman who was punched in the face last mm-hmm. week um, by a police officer, had her teeth knocked out. So I think that was, that's the reasoning that she's using. So I think a lot of people are probably questioning that the way it was done. Um, but it seems like she did reach out to some Italian American yeah. groups, correct? Before she, yeah, she did. It. And then, and there was um, Alderman Nick Spazzato had um, talked to our reporter Tina Smondelis, and uh, he had told her that he was okay with the statue being taken out for safety reasons, but he obviously still reveres the statue and reveres Columbus. So. These are discussions that we're going to definitely that we're going to be hearing more about. And I think, that you know, with the different statues we have throughout the city, um, there'll be questions as to why we don't have statues for, say, let's say for more African-American individuals who um, made a lot of contributions to the city. So it'll be interesting to see. I yeah, think. I I think it was a very astute move by Lori Lightfoot. Uh, I just had Alderman Lopez on, uh, and uh, he ripped her pretty good. But uh, I, uh, <laughs> Raylo is not feeling Lori Lightfoot these days. Uh, but I think it was a astute political move. It, it, and listen, the statue was a magnet. I said this already for protests and now there were going to be counter protests and then Donnie Trump sending in federal troops. So she's looking at a potential Portland situation where every day you have these confrontations around the statue, uh, which are uh, uh, with, with the threat that Donald Trump's militia will start just grabbing people off the street better to just get it rid of it at the moment by getting rid of the statue. Uh, and I have to laugh when people talk about the process because I was just having this conversation uh, with uh, Raylo, and I had this conversation with uh, my dear friend and your dear husband earlier today, Mick Dumkey, and he was talking about Ben, there's a process. And I'm like, there, in this city, we trample on process all the freaking time. We do. And, 
we so the notion that we have to honor process for a statue when we don't even have process for like the expenditures of millions of dollars i just find it you know i think we may be off a little bit that's just my take. okay okay that's a good point but let's say i'm going to be the devil's advocate here let's Go. say it was a statue of um bob dylan then what would you do and i and i didn't want that statue like and and you know all of us protested or you know what and then it was just taken out i'm just i'm just throwing bob dylan what if it's a, what if it's a figure it's a statue of a figure okay i'll answer that you revere i would tie myself to that statue you're not taking that statue down Listen, you better, You should have said, what if it was a statue of Michael Jeffrey Jordan? And yeah, there is I, a statue I, of Michael Jeffrey Jordan. And I revere Michael Jeffrey Jordan even more than I revere Bob Dylan. You know, that's hard to believe. And uh, so, listen, if the same point holds true, if the statue in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of protests over uh, police violence against uh, black people, in the middle of counter protests by police defenders, if that statue of my beloved Bob Dylan was drawing all this attention, I would have to welcome, it's not the figure that I'm talking about. It's the fact that the decision was made by Lori Lightfoot to try to remove uh, a magnet. I keep saying that. Now, I don't know, maybe people, I said this already, maybe people will just keep converging on the stump where the statue was. And so ultimately it will have not served its purpose. But I, I would like to diffuse this moment, uh, Romana, where people are just like heading for confrontation. I just feel like, you know what? It may be a good idea for Chicago for once in its freaking life to step back from confrontation instead of, oh, you punch me, I'll punch you. Cause that's how we do things in Chicago, man. So I think it may be a good idea. That's my, how I look. So if, if I had to sacrifice my beloved Bob Dylan to defuse the situation, I would say, take the statue, put it somewhere safe, and then you could maybe put it in a museum or something. That's my thought. Yeah, I figured it was, it's probably going to end up in a, a, the um, local, isn't there an Italian heritage museum? Maybe it's going to end up there. Yeah, that's what but somebody I'm else sure, suggested. I'm sure that would raise some controversy, too, because a lot of groups would probably feel like it should it should be out there for the whole city to see. I don't know. Those are just some those are just some. Um, Issues, I think, that might come up. I, I tell you what, I gotta love it when she was trying to get, think of something playing devil's advocate that would really. <laughs> she went to Bob Dylan. I think what? your husband would be Mick Dumpke would tie himself to this Bob Dylan statue. Okay, don't take Bob Dylan. Well, Mick Dumpke loves Bob Dylan, ladies well, and gentlemen. I was, th- I was thinking of so I was trying to think of someone that you no, Michael Jeffrey fear. Jordan would be for Likely, me. I don't know Michael Jordan. Yeah, that would be the one for me. All right, before we let you go, your recommendation: What do, are you urging people to watch uh, or read? <laughs> I, I, was, or I was I was hate watching. I told you when they called it a cringe binge. Uh, this Netflix series, um, all South Asians are talking about it, and I. Um, I'll bring Bob Dylan up again. You know how you and um, Mick have these discussions about Bob Dylan that go on for hours? <laughs> yeah, um, we've been known to do that. Yeah. So South Asians have been going on for hours about this Netflix series called um, Indian Matchmaking. 
and it's basically um it's it's a reality show and it it's a glimpse into this life of uh some people who are trying to get married and this Indian matchmaker who's based in India, but she kind of flies all over the world, including the United States. Chicago actually has a cameo in one of the dates. Um, I saw my old uh, Sun-Times building, the one on Orleans, um, while watching it. So it's, it's, it's kind of like into that whole world of matchmaking um, that's still in India. Um, I think the majority of marriages are still done by, um, are arranged. So it's it, it's definitely interesting, and most of the couples on it were um, Hindu American, and so there's the parts of like the arranged matchmaking where I I know a little about, but I didn't know that much about like the horoscopes they have to align, and if I'm saying that correctly, so there's a lot of different things, but it's actually very um, comical unintentionally, and I watched like some of it with by myself. I watched it by myself because I was like, Nick's not going to get it, and then <laughs> I don't think he wanted to watch it, or I told him about it, and he didn't seem that interested, and then he was going out to meet some friends and hang out in his friend's backyard, so I ended up watching like the last couple couple of uh, shows with my mom and it, it, my mom's commentary was hilarious so you have to if, if you're if you want to and there's a lot of non-indians watching it too and there's but you know and i was talking i was joking to you about the whole bob dylan thing but there's you know every time there's a show involving south asians everybody starts writing think pieces like people start yeah. critiquing in go you know so there's been a lot of uh commentary about how this show um, points to the problems in India. Colorism is a big problem, um, a big uh, dis- point of discussion in India. Um, caste, you know, in, in Hinduism, there's a caste system. So this also talks about the problems of, well, they, they, a lot of a lot of Hindu Americans said that they could pick up on certain things like dog whistles, like, in you know, why caste is, matters in a lot of these uh, matchmaking situations. Some of the dog whistles would probably go over my head because, but, some of the other dog whistles because I'm South Asian, I got. So if you want to watch something uh, that's a little different, that's been, you know, a point of discussion. And it's actually one of the more popular shows, I think, within the last few uh, days on Netflix. And so, Indian. Uh, yeah. Indian matchmaking. Of, yeah, it's called Indian matchmaking. And a lot of India, I don't know. I kind of thought of it as a Tiger King. I wasn't going to watch it, but then my friend's like, no, you got to watch it. So now, like, all my friends are, like, people are catching. It's only been out for a week, but, you know, people are tweeting me or texting me, like, things. And there's people that remind us of things. And there's just definitely some, like, loser guys on there. So you got to watch it. And, you know, some women have, you know, some of my friends have to have gone through the matchmaking process. Um one of the things that helped me is that my father, even though he was a surgeon and well respected, he was still from a quote unquote poor family. So nobody really wanted to marry within our family. So I was kind of spared with a lot of that. Nobody was trying to match make me that much or more my sisters. But um, some of my friends have had, had to deal with this. So they said it, a lot of people said that it was triggering and it reminded them of their 20s. So it, it's kind of funny. All right, I'm uh, gonna finish Pose uh, and Dead to Me, which you were recommended Dead to Me, and I recommend Pose to you. And then I will watch Indian Matchmaking. And if I may head over to your mom's house to really, uh, so I can appreciate it, get your mom's commentary, that may help it. <laughs> and uh, I should say, I'm also reading the book that you recommended and, and sent it over to me. So I thank you for that. I'm reading The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett. I read half of it already, so I'll probably finish it this week. Well, we'll talk about that. We'll have a book club uh, next week. I 
book had a huge impact on me. And then I sent it to Ramana. I talk about a, a homework assignment. Uh, she has to read a whole book, but uh, great book. Number one bestseller in the country. Yes, Dennis. Uh, yeah, we had a question on the live stream chat from our good friend, Stephen. Stephen uh, wanted to ask Ramana uh, about Modi's new immigration law in India. Does he have a new, oh, is it the old immigration law where uh, um, anti, was it, is it the CAA bill? Yep, CAA, it says. Yeah, oh, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm an Indian Muslim, so it definitely, um, I'm, I have to clearly say that I'm vehement, vehemently against it. Before the coronavirus pandemic, um, if anybody um, had been following news in India, there was a lot of protests in India about the CAA bill. This basically immigration act, um, it sounds very welcoming because it, you know, it's an immigration act and it's allowing immigrants to come and take shelter in India unless they're Muslim. That's that's the catch over there. So there's um, Modi's uh, platform and the BJP's platform has been very anti-minority and um, the biggest minority in, in, in India are is the Muslims. So um, there's been a lot of, um, if you talk to anybody that's, um, Muslim and is from India or has Indian ties, there's been a lot of um, protest about this and a lot of people feel very negatively about it. And there have been journalists who have been jailed um, speaking out about this and activists um, who have been speaking about out about this as well. And I, one of the things I wanted to mention is when the Black Lives Matter protest happened in Chicago, there was a lot of Indian celebrities who were talking about Black Lives Matters and a lot of people were calling them out because they didn't say anything about the CAA bill. So they're like, yeah, now you're talking about this, but you haven't said anything about it in your own country. So there's actually been a lot of discussion in India too. Um, ben, I should tell you, colorism is a big problem in India because everybody wants to look white. Colonialism has really affected India and looking white is supposed to be better looking. So they have this like fairness cream called Fair and Lovely in India. And a lot of makeup companies that are American makeup companies actually have lightning skin creams in um, India too. And ever since uh, George Floyd, Floyd protest, the cream called Fair and Lovely has changed its name to like glow and lovely or something. It's still the same concept, but they wow. want to get rid of the light. So like it's, it's it's interesting how Black Lives Matter has affected language and things the way people are dealing with in India. But the CAA bill, um, you know, it's still out there. So nothing has changed on that. So I do I do feel strongly about that. I can say that. And, and uh, by the way, I should say uh, to the 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 point of that. Uh, colorism that's a big theme in the book uh, vanishing yeah. half which we will get into yeah uh, and I can, you know as a south asian i can relate to a lot of that a lot of those discussions all right very good uh, thank you for the question Stephen and uh romana thank you very much stay safe stay sound we'll be talking to you next week probably about vanishing half okay. so uh Take care, all right very good uh, that's Ramana Hussein. Uh, Andy, uh, before we head out, have you got any updates for us? Uh, just real quick, I want to remind everybody to download our Benny J bonus interviews this weekend, every Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. That's right. We're the hardest working podcast in Chicago, maybe in America. All right. Uh, you can download those at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcasts. We have Miles Kampf-Lassen uh, yes. making his weekly return to the program. David Ferris, the professor. We're going to be talking with him in just moments. Ben, what are you going to be talking with Mr. Ferris about? 
Well, I'm going to talk about his book. I'm going to promote his book. The kids are all left. And, it, and it's and this is going to be for real political geeks because he takes the deep dive uh, into the, the, the trends, voting trends throughout the country uh, and the way the younger voters are heading left uh, and the ramifications for the Republican Party. And we do. He takes it statewide. Uh, he gets into. He sort of explains why the impact of various Republican governmental cuts have hit so hard on uh, younger people, and they're like, "Forget this, beep," and they're moving left. Uh, and so we'll. And you know, I'll probably talk about Senate Senate races with him. Uh, the guy's a political geek. He knows his stuff. So we're we're going to take the deep dive on national politics. And uh, the third fella, I can't remember the name. Chuck Johnson from there the Chicago Tribune. We'll be talking about uh, that. That'll be the first conversation we have. We're going to get into the impact of hedge funds on journalism and how they are really, I, w- I don't want to say destroying the beloved profession uh, of journalism, but it's hurting journalism. And uh, Charlie Johnson uh, is, the, I call him the union steward at the Chicago Tribune. So we'll be talking about what's going on at the Tribune. Charlie Johnson from the Chicago Tribune. All right, everybody, make sure you follow us online at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can send us an email, Show at gmail.com. And you can call us. We don't get that many calls. It'd be great if you sent us a voicemail, 708 658 Four seven eight eight. I want to double check. I can never remember that number. It's uh, not that catchy. Uh, once again, the number is 708-658-4788. Send the Ben Jarofsky show and uh, a voicemail and maybe we'll play it. Uh, yes, maybe we will. Uh, don't swear. No, you're allowed to swear. It's a podcast. Yeah, I, I mean, today's show is a prime example of that. Holy cow, <laughs> Lopez. Yeah, uh, I want to thank Alderman Raymond Lopez uh, for uh, being so gracious as to come on the show. I want to thank Pat Whalen for help setting that up, even though he's like, I didn't do it. Don't call attention to me. I want to thank Rumana Hussein uh, for being our guest as she is every Friday, the Rumana Rundown. And of course, I want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of Joey of all Illinois, without whom the show would be possible. And as Raylo, Ramana, and Pat Whalen can all tell you, Back home in Alton, they call him Dennis W. Lightning. Give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. See you Tuesday, everybody. That was for you, Yimsters. I'm not a doctor. That's correct. I won't just turn the car around. I'm going to shut it off. I'm going to kick you out, and I'm going to make you walk Not something you ignore. I think you're 100% bullshit, is what I think. If you think we won't fucking fuck you, then who are you to tell me I'm bullshit?